Live from Alachua, Florida, I'm Amrita Kaley. And I'm Nam Amrita. Welcome to Nectar Talks from the heart of New Raman Reiti, the largest Hare Krishna community in North America and the home of thousands of bhakti yoga practitioners. In our ongoing interviews, we dig deep into our search for loving connections with Krishna and each other. With you, we hope to uncover the real-life stories and inner journeys of our vibrant community of friends and special guests. Like bees searching for nectar, we seek to extract pearls of wisdom from how they live their lives and the lessons they can impart to us and our listeners. If you're seeking nectar, look no further. All right, let's get started. Welcome back, everyone, to our discovery and journey into the lives of our beautiful community of spiritual seekers, practitioners of bhakti yoga, devotional pioneers, and those like myself who are simply born into it and trying to figure it out. This is Nectar Talks, Episode 6. We're live from Nuraman Reti. Welcome, everyone. Amrita Kaley, my partner in crime, is um, still out for now. She has her new baby daughter. So forgive me if her contagious laughter and cheer is going to be missing today. I've been practicing my woohoos as best as I could. And we're going to try to keep this exciting for everyone. A couple of um, housekeeping items before we get started and I introduce our special guests. We've been working very hard on getting our podcast platform up and running over the last couple of days. And from what I understand, we should have Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify up and running in the next couple of days. Keep an eye out for that. It's uh, just going to be under the, the banner Nectar Talks if you want to listen to us on your drive to work or via audio. And of course, you can find us on Escana Valachua's YouTube and Facebook platforms, Nectar Talks Live, of course, on Facebook and YouTube as well. I've been really looking forward to this first mother and daughter duo today. We have Mother Annapurna and Vrinda Devi. We're very excited to have them. And I've really been looking forward to this interview because, first of all, it's great to spend time with you again. And there's so many topics that we can dive into, anywhere from art to your book launch growing up in Krishna consciousness, the dynamic that you two have as a mother and daughter. I'm really looking forward to all that. Mother Annapurna, Vrinda Devi, welcome to the show. How are you? Great. It's so exciting to be speaking to the new Ramanrati community because I've been part of it since I was 14 and came here from Sweden. And it's been one of my lifelines to be connected to this community. It's a pleasure for me to be here with you. Thank you. Mother Annapurna, how are you doing today? I feel that spiritual life is an ever-increasing bliss. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Let's increase it some more this evening. As you know, one of the reasons why we started this podcast is simply to get to know our community members. I know that you're from Sweden and Brenda, you grew up there for part of your life. Perhaps we could start with just a little bit of your geographical background, your family you grew up in, and how eventually you moved to Alachua and Nuraman Reiti. Tell us about that. I'll let you start, Mama. Okay, I'm born in a little town not so far from Stockholm in Sweden and I was always one of these uh, people who didn't want to join the rat race and live a regular life. I had to go through being a hippie in Europe and traveling around and doing some exploring and having some really bad experiences before I finally I went with my friends to a music festival, outdoor music festival, where the Krishnas in Sweden did some performance. And it was like this. Some people have their spiritual life. It takes step by step by step. Uh -huh. For me, it was like this. <laughs> what kind of performance was it? They were sitting down in, in the grass 
and just singing the Maha Mantra. Okay. It was one devotee, her name was Krishna Premi. So it was Kirtan, basically. You, you were hearing the yeah, whole name. Yeah, it, and... it was Kirtan. Yeah, yeah. And I also got some, uh, like my boyfriend at that time, he was very favorable. He had like the books. And I was super duper attracted to, because uh, I'm very visual. I like uh, pictures is, is a source of great inspiration in my life. So it was this uh, Shisha Panisha, the first one with the uh, Keshava Vishnu on the oh, uh-huh. oh wow. Yeah, this is it. This must be because that's a powerful image right there. <laughs> because this notion that uh, God is a person, it was always with me. And uh, but I and and I was in some Bible study groups and uh, you know trying to look for for a way to find God in my life. Yeah. And when I saw this picture, and it's like, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. If there is a God, he must be something extraordinary out of this world. And he is, so that's why I'm still sitting here. Yeah, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Vrinda, you grew up in Sweden. Tell us a little bit about that, and how old were you when you, did you move to the U.S. after that directly, or? Well, I just want to say that this is so exciting. I've never heard my mom's uh, joining story or this really? moment. I've never heard it before. I guess that shows my self-absorption I, as a daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, it's, uh, that was really fun. And Krishna Premi, of course, I grew up also with, with her wonderful music. Oh, you remember mm-hmm. her, Brinda? You remember Krishna Premi? I don't actually, I remember her a little bit. I think all, many Gurukulis grew up with the, her, her music. Gopali's mother. Let the Swami, oh, may your vision always be before my eyes. That's Maybe. Krishna Premi. Yeah, that's Krishna Premi. So I, I know that song. Yeah, that, I think many Gurukulis grew up with. Yeah. Oh, wow. Krishna well, then, yeah, Krishna. then I feel connected to her as well. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So yeah, I grew up on uh, the Iskon farm, the Hare Krishna farm in Sweden. It's still there. It's called Anviks Gård. Uh-huh. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful farm. We had cows and every season we were picking potatoes. And so it was, it gave me a taste of uh, farm life. Yeah. Also community living, communal life. My mom and I, we never had our own house or home or kitchen or anything. We just had all our meals at the temple we mm-hmm. in, in community life which now living more of a, a regular american life in terms of having a household and a family and having our own house and car and that's how most people live now yeah i definitely grew up in the early days of the movement when everyone lived in the temple there wasn't such a thing as living outside of the temple right right Thankfully, the farm I grew up in was really um, beautiful, like tons of trees and there is a lake and I, I grew up very close to nature. So that's some of my the, the fond parts that I connect to in terms of my childhood. And then when I was 14, the community started falling apart a little bit. I was one of the few kids that still lived on the farm and I was aching and dying to just go to public school and be like a regular kid. Uh My dad was very against that idea. He didn't want me to be influenced in that way. So long story short, I flew when I was 14. I was put on the airplane and I flew by myself to Allah. And Mataji, Mother Lakshmi Moni, who was running the Vaishnava Academy for Girls at the time, she came and picked me up. I had never met her before. I started ashram life and then I spent ashram life. That was back in 97. So I've been connected to the Alachua community since I was 14 and that was back in 97. So it's quite a few years now. Wow. Yeah. So you, you grew up immersed in the, the community in Sweden. And then from there, when you moved to Alatra, it was to join the, the ashram there. Yes. All right. Awesome. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of, a lot of experiences came from just those two things. And there's a lot we could dive into right there. I do want to keep track of our time and, you know, the book is a a big thing that I want to get into, but uh, if there's one thing that perhaps you wanted to share about uh, that upbringing and Krishna consciousness, what are 
a couple of the things that, you know, looking back on it, you might share about that. Well, like you said, there is so much to say. And I also resonated a lot with something that Gora Shakti said on the last episode. He was saying growing up, it, it felt as if ISKCON or, or Krishna consciousness or our movement was the entire world. Right. That's, we experienced it growing up and then becoming an adult, we realized, oh, our movement or what we're doing is a very small part of a very vast, larger world. And then as an adult, then to find the bridge or find the ways to live in all the different roles we have to inhabit, you know, that's been a huge learning curve for me. And I know for many Guru Kulis and probably for anyone with a body, I mean, growing into adulthood is, is, is painful for, for most people. But one thing that comes to mind that I thought about before coming on, on here was, you know, a lot of my peers, a lot of my friends that I grew up with on the farm in Sweden, they have transitioned into, they're disconnected from the movement. They don't really, yeah, they're just not very active in it. And some of them are even consciously keeping a distance for different reasons. And mm -hmm. I'm one of the few that is still somehow connected despite having apprehensions and other things that, but I'm still very much connected. And right. one, one of the reasons for that is because I did come, I left Sweden and I left that community and I was plugged into the Alatra community, which is extremely, you know, versatile, open-minded kind of come as you are and also has a ton of, of senior devotees that are so loving and, and do send that message, like, come as you are, participate as you can. I'm so happy right. you're here rather than a, a, another message that might be less encouraging. So I do see that transition of me coming into the Alatra community as one of the reasons why I am still myself active or, or uh -huh. to, in the way that I am. Right. You're, you're saying that it was through some of the, the devotees here in New Raman Reiji that you felt that that transition or, or being kind of part of both worlds was made possible for you. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, it's actually a topic that's uh, very dear to me. We had uh, Mother Akuti a few episodes ago, and her prayer was that the next generations just make ISKCON better. That was her great desire. And there's so, so much to be done. And I really admire your approach to it. And like you said, you're still feeling connected to uh, Krishna consciousness. And it's a wonderful thing. Tell us a little bit more about you. And obviously, the big topic for today is that there's the third book of your trilogy, Sita's Fire, that's uh, being released. And there it is. Destroyer of Sorrow. Yeah, so the first one was uh, Shadows of the Sun Dynasty, which uh, came out in uh, 2016, and Queen of the Elements, 2017, and now Destroyer of Sorrow is coming out. And this is, uh, from what I understand, it's a 10-year journey for both of you to have gone uh, to this point when uh, the, the trilogy is finally completed. So, to get back to learning a little bit more about uh, Mother Annapurna, tell us about your creative background, how you became an artist, and that seems like this is really your career and a big priority in your life. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? I saw on your on your website, you call yourself a watercolor art artist and, uh, and book illustrator. So is that pretty much how you would define yourself as far as your career? I... Uh... Picture, as I said before, pictures have always meant a lot to me. It gives me inspirations and it's just a natural thing. And I feel like this, I didn't become an artist. I'm, I always was an artist. Mm -hmm. But first we were pioneers in the moment and I didn't have like an education in art or so. I just went along with what do the needful needed to be done. So I just surrendered for many years. I would like to, I feel inspired, let me do this, or I would like to do, no, we lived in a temple environment and, you know, we had a temple authority and that's, you do what 
what needs to be done. And if somebody in the Fajari department is sick or can't go on the altar, you, you just have to jump in immediately. Uh-huh. So, uh, <clears throat> and before I joined, I was uh, uh, like uh, a miserable teenager trying to figure out my life. And art, art was also, uh, yeah, I, I showed my husband a picture, a portrait I did of my grandmother in 76. And he said, wow, this is really good. You know, I, I, I did art for my whole life. It was always one of my best subjects, you know? So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so, so from what I understand, you, you always had the art in you and you always yeah. enjoyed doing it. But when you joined the temple, you, you didn't really have the time because you were doing the needful. So it's not like at that time in the beginning, you were able to really put so much time into it. When did it become something that you were doing, you know, perhaps on a more of a full-time basis, would you say? <laughs> I have to laugh because it wasn't until I became independent, you know, I moved out of the temple. Uh-huh. That I could pursue art, right, right, to full extent, yeah. and what uh, follow my own inspiration, right, right. That's what it is. Right. But it's funny. I want to mention this since this is the Alachia community. Uh, yeah. One of the first times I visited the center in Sweden, Korsnesgård. One of the few devotees there. He was very kind, and he spent some time with me, and he was an artist. Guess, mm-hmm. who, guess who it was? It was Pushkar. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Our dear Pushkar. Yes, definitely a and stable he, character here at Nuraman Reiki. <laughs> yeah. And he gave, me, he gave me to, you know, at that time we used cassettes, you know. So he gave me a cassette recording of uh, Prabhupada's class and, and some <clears throat> bhajans with Prabhupada that I brought mm-hmm. with me and listened to a lot when I got home, you know? So that's, uh, they had a little uh, group of uh, artists there at Korsner School at that time. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, I, I find it interesting that, you know, you mentioned two things that are both important, I would say. One is you were doing the needful at the time and you actually sounds like you you put aside something that was uh, really in you and you know your creativity as an artist and you, you didn't have so much of an opportunity to dive into it and then at some point you you did allow yourself to do that i see both as being an amazing dedication of your your devotional character and that you know the the photos that uh, madrilila are posting here are really amazing and i'm Looking forward to hearing more about how you managed to display all your, your talents through this trilogy. So, Rinda, can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind this project? How did it all come about that you, you're now an author on top of, you know, initially I knew you as a, a dancer, traveling alongside uh, your husband with the Mayapuris. I've seen you lead some beautiful kirtans. Of course, you're a mother of three. So tell us a little bit how you got into this amazing project that started some 10 years ago. Well, I have to point directly back to my mom, really, because, you know, the Ramayan is such a revered epic. It's so beloved in India and beyond. And so there is no way that I would have ever approached it or ever thought that I could contribute anything to it. And it just had never even crossed my mind to do anything with it. Mm-hmm. But it, it so happened that, you know, my mom was in Sweden and I was in the US and transitioning to go to India to study dance. And it so happened that she conceived of this project as an illustrator. She already started working on it. But that project fell through and she can tell you more more about that. But then she actually asked me, well, why don't you write something? And I was completely blindsided by that. What? Me? Okay. And 
I did have a fondness for writing, but it's not like I identified as an author or thought that I had what was needed. But I, anyways, I, I sent, I did a draft and I sent it to the publisher, Adwaita Chandra Prabhu, who used to helm Torchlight, which okay. has so many devotional books. And he loved it. He was so supportive. He loved what I wrote. And then it just started from there. And it turned into this massive project. I think it, originally we had just envisioned doing one book. But then when I began to generate more and more material and when I really surrendered to the entire process, it, it really took on a life of its own and turned into this massive trilogy project that we're just so excited to finally be at the other end of. Wow. And, and I mean, I also have to say that, that it, it brought me into such confrontation with myself and my abilities as an author and even just, you know, what do I stand for as a person? Very intense kind of inner stuff. Mm -hmm. and I know for sure that I, you know, I even contemplated it, doing it even with my mom. But if my mom had not been there, I would have for sure taken the manuscript and just like thrown it in the river or burnt it and never looked at it again. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't at liberty to do that because here, you know, my mom was there and she was depending on me and and also believing in me and encouraging me and really seeing fanning the flame of whatever you know small talent I may have and so I really credit her for for seeing something in me that I I didn't see in myself you know and yeah I'm just really really grateful because it has enriched my life so much yeah. but it, it's not something that I came into with intentionally sort of right right yeah that's really interesting you know I mean I I never would have known uh, when I see the trilogy, I was like, man, there must have been a lot of planning. Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna write this trilogy. <laughs> so it's, and at the same time, I can, uh, I can relate with some projects that I did where once you get started, you realize, well, if I do this, I got to do that. And <laughs> it just piles on. I, I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit about your site on this, dear mom, you know, what was your motivation in, in asking Rindo, you know, tell us a little bit about the spark you saw in her and, and why you pushed her to do this? I always saw a spark in her from the moment she was born, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, she was 14, you know, many of you who are out, out there, you have kids, they are 14. I have one kid. Mm -hmm who was like, she maybe begin to understand now when she has own kids, how much it means to a parent to have a yeah. child, you know? Right. And she left when she was 14. I know she came here to Alaksha. She was in the ashram. She was like protected. She did devotional activities. And so I wasn't like worried, but mm -hmm. the separation was unbearable, mm -hmm. you know? Because it's not like, you know, okay, my daughter moved to another city here in Sweden. I can go and visit. I can take the train. I can take the bus or something. It's not just to hop on a, a, a train and go to America. It's a whole ocean in between there, you know. And yeah. uh, I mean, it was, internet was there, but it wasn't like now we can really connect with each other through internet, it wasn't so much like developed at that time. So uh -huh. I was just very sad that my daughter, that we had to send her to all the way to, because she needed to have challenges for her to live on a farm with no friends. It wasn't enough challenges for her. She mm -hmm. was bored. And the danger when you are bored, if you're a young person, you want to, you're curious, you want to find out. And even in the little town nearby where the farm is, there are drugs and discos and, you know, like, so we, uh, me and Brinda Stad, we did this to protect her, mm -hmm. to send her there. Right, right. Sure. I would have wanted to, but at the same time, it, it like, 
although it's so spark in her, when, when children are small, you are like, almost like a God to them. They loved you so much. And it was the same. I had such a beautiful memories of Rinda as a child because she was so beautiful. She was so, she was my, you know, like what you call it, like everything. Right. And then they, and then they become like growing up into their own personalities, you know, it's like, <clears throat> they become teenagers. <laughs> the terrible like, teens. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was, I was, when I joined, I was kind of a little bit come from a dark place and joined and my life was like formed and my spiritual life, like the foundation became a devotion to Krishna. And to be honest, I had no clue how to deal with a teenage daughter. I didn't know what to do. So in that sense, I guess it was a blessing that although it was very painful, the separation, but I, maybe it was something already there because now we have a close connection and we have worked through lots of things. And I feel, Brenda, I feel I love you so much. I think you're such an amazing person. And I'm so happy that we live close because Bill, when she left when she was 14, it wasn't until... I moved here to Alacha seven years ago. That's like 15 years. We hardly saw each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize it was so long. Well, thank you for, you know, sharing such intimate feelings uh, and history between the two of you. I mean, I really appreciate you you both opening about that. So at some point you 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 launch on this journey of so you had from what I understand you had art already yeah i already towards, had towards my pieces book. of art what do i do with this you know because right uh, you know at that time harikish was my spiritual master i was initiated during the sonal acharya system you know and mm-hmm. he had started a project to help prihastas and schools and he wanted to uh, produce children's books so that's how I uh, started to become more involved in, in art. Uh, okay. because, uh, and, uh, but I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the whole history, what happened in Sweden yeah. and Europe. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to follow along with how the book came about. So you yeah, had the so, art so, yeah, and I then had, you, needed, I had, you needed a writer. I have, I, yeah, I had the art and I, I needed somebody to write the manuscript. That's a little backward. Usually you have a manuscript and then you go from there. But <laughs> since I'm not a writer and, you know, I, I, I could perceive that Brinda already then had like a gift for expressing her, herself with words, you know, writing her essays in school and everything like that. So... I don't know, I just got this, uh, I think a lot of my life is uh, like, it's more like intuition and it's not so much like thinking through things, it's more spontaneous and intuition. So I thought it would be a great way for her and me to be connected. She over here in America, me in Sweden, and then she went, all the way to India for five years studying classical mm-hmm. Indian dance. That's when she started to write the first drafts. Right. Great, great. So once you got launched into the, the writing, thanks to your, your mother's encouragement, Brenda, tell us a little bit about that whole writing process. I mean, to me, it's, it's fascinating. You know, the Ramayan is a, uh, like you mentioned in the beginning, this is one of the most famous epics of India. It's known throughout the world. I mean, you see it in probably every Indian restaurant. A lot of people <laughs> know about the Ramayana. And you engaged on a journey to, to rewrite it. Tell us a little bit about your approach 
to this epic? What was your intention and perhaps some of the influences in, in your own life that guided you in this in this writing? Yeah, well, so initially I wrote it just from memory because, you know, when I grew up, I grew up in a very strict environment where we, you know, we didn't watch movies or we didn't have access to cartoons and things like that. Only when I went to my grandmother's, I would beg to watch Tom and Jerry or Donald Duck. Or, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't. It's best. always our grandmas that uh, <laughs> they're the leads. I got to tell you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I, I got a little bit of that, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that I, had much of but what my surrounding really exposed me to was of course all the Vedic stories and Mahabharata, Ramayan, all the Bhagavatam, Srimad Bhagavatam stories you know so those things made a very deep impression on me and I did you know on rainy days we were allowed to watch these devotional Bollywood films mm-hmm. so the Ramayan and the Mahabharata that was really kind of the background that was the stories that I was steeped in as a child so in that sense it was a smooth and easy entry point for me to start retelling the story right and really I you know as the years went by and I started realizing so many things one one thing for example is that the Ramayana has a really huge storytelling tradition it's been told and retold originally of course it was an oral story and then it was written down by Valmiki first but it, it has so many different versions even in India it has over 200 different regional versions and then now when it's being retold in English now we're seeing so many English retellings so it just has this really rich um, storytelling tradition that affirmed me a lot I realized that I wasn't just kind of doing something not bona fide (laughs) I was actually participating in a long-standing tradition which is to retell Mm -hmm. the story for your particular audience so that relieved some of you know my inner anxiety about what I was doing and another really huge eye-opener for me was that I I even came to the entire end of writing the manuscripts for all three books really and it was only then that I realized that I had written it to belong to the male characters, you know, it starts with Dasharath and then Ram and Lakshman and then Hanuman and Ravan and, you know, Vibhishan. And there's just so many really rich male characters whom I love and adore and they're very fascinating. But for me, you know, I, I really came away from that and said, wait a minute. I mean, where is Sita? Where is Koshalya? Where is Kaikeyi? Where is... Even Sorpanak, who is such a pivotal uh, character, she does t- change the trajectory of the heroes and the tale for all time. And so I just really confronted my own assumption that, oh, this story belongs to the male characters. Mm. And for me, that just was very incomplete. And that's when I had my biggest sort of aha moment where I realized, oh, my God, I do have something to contribute to this storytelling tradition that is unique and yes. it's also in this time you know we are in a kind of time of reckoning where minority voices and women right absolutely so mm-hmm. i mean obviously i am part of that uprising too so it's you know again so i'm also fitting into a certain yeah what 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 perfect timing when it comes to that you know i mean <laughs> not only is it important but it's it's perfect timing like you said yeah, and it's yeah, also that, that's not an artificial thing. It's not like I'm trying to fit into a certain moment. Okay, mommy, can you mute yourself if if you're? So this, that's my daughter. Hi, Naimi. Hi, everyone. Naimi. <laughs> so this is my, my beautiful girl. So sweet. She has a sleepover tonight. She's uh, doing all sorts of that's that's the best things. <laughs> Don't watch too many Bollywood movies; you'll end up having to write a, a whole epic about it. 
<laughs> yeah, so so you you had this aha moment that you could basically retell the Ramayan and really put that emphasis on the female perspective that hadn't been done before. Yeah. So tell us how did how did you actually implement that you know what what was your did you come up with some techniques on how you would do that or did you use any references yeah no that's I think anyone who knows or loves the Ramayana is always going to ask or be concerned with you know what I the term for it would be you know text fidelity how mm -hmm. how much allegiance to the original text you know where do I diverge do I diverge you know that that is going to be a concern for anyone who you know knows the Ramayan and I'm very aware of that and attentive to that so I'll just uh, quickly give an example of of my process that explains sort of you know how I did some of the work for the female characters uh -huh. so I like to just bring the example of the, the two powerful queens of of in, in book one we it's set in the Sun Dynasty shadows of the Sun Dynasty so it's really set in in you know the palace and the palace intrigues and the interpersonal dynamics so we have these two queens you know Queen Koshalya Ram's mother and then yeah. Queen Ikei who is the king's favorite queen and you know right. so that dynamic there Koshalya is a senior senior queen so she'll have a lot of power but then because Kaikei was the favorite then she'll also have her own power and obviously there are rivals in a way that we I don't I think can be somewhat hard for us to understand these days because it's not so common for men to have two or more wives anymore though it happens right but so so then I took what we know about these these uh, two powerful queens from the story itself. It said, you know, that they were bitter rivals. And then there are a couple of traits. There is not much about them, but a couple of traits of their characters are established. And so uh -huh. I base any any of any of the dialogues, any of the things that they think or feel should resonate with what we know about them as characters. And right. And then there, there was one line in the Valmiki Ramayana itself that, that stated that the king would have to go to this place called the Krodabhavan, the house of wrath, or this place of anger where you went to release your anger. And, you know, because we can see even now the royal family in different countries, they have, they're under scrutiny at all times. So they're under a right. lot of pressure to perform perfection at all moments so that was true even back then and so they had a place to go where it was safe for them to just unravel and be crazy and really yeah. release everything which is just such a cool concept but so it's said that king dashrat had to go there to uh -huh. mediate between his his these two wives and then it doesn't say anything more i mean we're not part of there nothing more is given Okay. But, and then my process was then to look at, okay, these are the two queens. This is what's going on. Right. And then, oh, this is a scene that happened. And then I created that entire scene. I brought them into that space and, and have them, you know, speak their gr grievances. And to the best of my ability, imagine what would this conversation between these two powerful women, what would it look like? And so there is a chapter in the uh, shadows of the sun dynasty called the house of wrath when the two of them confront each other so it's really for me my hope is that anyone who who loves the ramayan reads the reads this and goes yes this seems very plausible this this resonates this feels this feels like it could have happened and yeah. at the same time for someone who doesn't know the story can read it and say oh whoa these two women wow, this is an exciting scene to read, you know? So I really put my intelligence to make it accessible to both uh, the connoisseurs and the newcomers. So that was my, you know, really my double goal in the entire project. Yeah, yeah. So to, to stick to the story and then kind of fill in the gaps, basically, in some parts that just aren't there in the, the original text. That's wonderful. We had uh, talked about you perhaps reading a, a passage or two. Do you do you have that? Is now a good time? 
do we perhaps have hear time? that? Do we have time for that? Or I think we're going to be going a little bit over our, our 60 minute uh, target, but uh, that's okay. I, I would like, if you have it and it's not too long, it'd be nice to hear to just kind of demonstrate what, what, what you just talked about. Okay. So in 2016, when, when we launched Shadows, we actually enacted this scene for the community. I played yes. the role of, of Kaikei and Ani Anapaini. She did the role of Koshalia. So I actually thought I would share, share another part, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. And by the way, I was there for that, that book launch and it was oh. really amazing. And I was actually going to ask you if you have any plans for any, you know, of course it's the pandemic right now, but is that something that are in the plans in the future to have some more theater reenactments or, you know, perhaps even an audio book, which I think would be amazing. Well, I have, I have the audio book is available on audible for books. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. Only great, for book great. One. I narrated it myself, but it's okay. available on audible for anybody who's too busy to read. I know it's a really thick, thick book but it is available on audible and I have it on my to-do list to do the other two so in terms of audio yes that's certainly in the plans and just bigger productions are it takes so much energy and finances and just it takes incredible and an incredible amount of work to put something like that on so right now there's no concrete plan but i would love to and i know anapaini loves to and our entire music team you know we did live music we would love yeah. to do that again but that's more bhaktiland.com everybody <laughs> want more shows go to bhaktiland.com <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, yeah that that we only were able to put that together because of bhaktiland support you're right yeah, now that's a really nice platform that you guys created for uh, devotional art. All right, let's hear it. I'm looking forward to this. So another way I also like to explain my process is by highlighting, you know, what I kind of call iconic scenes from the Ramayana. Mm-hmm. So an iconic scene from book one is this moment where Mantara comes in and whispers to Kaikei and turns her mind against mm-hmm. Whole kingdom. That's a very well-known iconic scene, right? And that that informs my entire, you know, storytelling structure so much. And so here in in book two, Queen of the Elements, the iconic scene that is for me one of the standout scenes, and also one that anyone who knows the story will know very well. It's this moment when Sita and Lakshman. Are, are alone together in the hermitage in the ashram and Sita hears Ram's voice hearing his voice calling out in distress and she begins to unravel and she wants Lakshman to go and help and mm-hmm. he refuses and then they have a confrontation an interpersonal crisis basically and so right. that that's a, an, a really important scene and the way that I received that particular scene growing up with a story and hearing it told what I kind of what I usually hear is like oh Sita is acting kind of just like a hysterical woman and here we go again these sentimental women though they just kind of go crazy when they're under crisis I'm simplifying it I'm paraphrasing it in maybe an exaggerated way but that was basically the mood of it like oh she's just for no reason you know going into this crazy these crazy accusations towards yeah and my what i know about just people and also character building in a story is that when a character does something it it cannot be out of character it has to be in line with what we know and everyone does something for a reason so the fact that she went to that very dark place in that moment accusing lakshman of desiring her very intense accusation there was a reason for it there was a reason why she came to that dark place Mm -hmm. in her mind so so knowing what they said to each other in that moment and how they interacted in that moment then I go backwards and then just wonder how did they get to that place there is a reason you know so just gonna I want to read just a little bit from Sita's perspective okay um, that that 
that it's a small throughout the book I try to really pepper it with these kind of inner thoughts and and you know how we got here but this is an example of one this is before it happens okay so Ram and Ram has gone to confront the whole a whole uh, contingent of demons and Lakshman and Sita are hiding in a cave. So it's just the two of them alone in a cave. This is, and so Ram told us to wait here until his signal, Lakshman said in a firm tone. His brother was his king. He would follow his brother's order if it meant sitting in that cave the rest of our lives. I, on the other hand, could not bear to sit there for another moment. All I could feel in Lakshman's presence was his veiled heart, the way I was shut out from it. He never, ever allowed me to see his true feelings, and this made me uneasy around him, as if a secret stood between us. After 10 years together, the silence between us had only grown. I trusted Lakshman with my life, but not with my heart. In barring me from his, we had lost opportunity to be actual friends. Although my heart was not closed to Lakshman, it found no sustenance in our connection. The flower of love between us was there only because we both loved Ram. I had no idea what Lakshman's thoughts were regarding our relationship. How could I? He was determined not to share his true feelings or thoughts with me. That's why we could not coexist without Ram. He was our fort, the one who knew us both. Without Ram, Lakshman and I were like two creatures in a vast ocean, living in the same environment, but as disconnected as two sea anemones. And so she, she decides to leave the cave and not wait for Ram to come and bring them. Mm -hmm. So that was just a small insight into how Sita would have felt, you know, Lakshman being very uh, guarded with her. And so she experienced that there was some sort of uh, secret between them. And then right. when she is in this crisis, of course, she fills in her worst assumption, what that, what that wall could have been. And I also explore Lakshman's reason for ho holding that, that wall. I also explore, you know, why would he have held himself in reserve towards her? I also explore that. Right. That was just a little well, I, I want to thank you, you know, for both of you for embarking on this amazing journey. And I, I think it, to me, it sounds like this is a, a devotional practice, you know, just along one's daily sadhana or, or however we practice or seek, you know, our connection with God. I can imagine that this has been a very meaningful and you know deepening experience for both of you i mean not only the amount of time you've put into it over 10 years but just you know the research the concentration the the soul searching the you know wanting to do it with honor and respect and you know sticking to the boundaries of not only the tradition but being true to the story so Thank you so much. What what are some, you know, and I'm going to steal something right out of your Wisdom of the Sages interview here. You, you talked a little bit about your issues with Lord Ram. And I find that to be a fascinating topic because, you know, first of all, it shows that, you know, you, you have a genuine relationship with this person, you know. Krishna or the, the Lord in his incarnation is Ram and, and you have issues with it. And, you know, you mentioned and uh, to, to share a little bit about that. I'm just fascinated by this, this real connection that is there through that. And, and also I would love to hear a little bit about, you know, where you're at with that. What, what is the issue that you had? And yeah, just tell us a little bit about that if you don't mind. Yeah, so growing up, my favorite pastimes or my favorite stories was definitely the Mahabharat. You know, I loved Bhima particularly, but the Ramayana always had a little bit of distance. And as I grew into adulthood, I've heard it said by 
by many friends, there is a kind of apprehension with Ram particularly because he's praised as the perfect man, the perfect king, you know. And then when you read the story or when you know the story, then you see some of his actions don't align with what we think of as a perfect man, a perfect king, a perfect husband, a perfect father. You know, he he does some very brutal things to the one the ones that need him the most or deserve his protection the most so i was very aware of, of that going into the story and i really mm. kind of wanted to avoid ram as much as possible you know i like i mentioned earlier i i entered the story writing through dashrat's perspective that's kind of easy you know he just loves his son and you know that's something very relatable and but at some point in my writing process, I realized that for me to really tell this story, to really go deep into the story, I had to work on my relationship with Ram. I had to confront all that hard stuff and mm -hmm. really look at it and really be in discovery with it, open myself up to why, how did this happen? Why did this happen? And even now that the story is is done i don't feel like i have answers i'm still in the discovery but there are a couple of things i can share that have soothed my heart yeah and one of them was when i when i actually went back and and, and started reading the valmiki ramayan for myself see in in the valmiki ramayan the lord lord ram is not omniscient he's 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 you know embodying and living as a human being and we see him right. going the real depths of human suffering like he goes into a deep depression and you know he has so many really dark moments and dark feelings and he he himself you can see in the text is is in this constant sort of battle with himself in a way the self recrimination where he is battling with himself that is so relatable in other words mm. he's not always at peace with his own actions either and, and it, it's in later traditions like in tulsidas tulsidas ram charitmanas they you know because each author is going to each poet is going to bring something to it and and it, it is in that story that ram becomes omniscient so he becomes more of you know, the Leela thing where he, things are happening and he's just has a playful smile and is un, you know, unaffected by all these, all the human madness. Right. But the problem with that is if he's omniscient, then it's a little harder to understand and forgive if he errs or if he does, uh, has that human uh, tendency to, to take a misstep. You know, right, right. if he, if he really is omniscient, then I expect more of someone who's omniscient you know, I have less forgiveness. Oh, you're God, you should be perfect. You should, you know, there is much more expectation. But if when I was able to see Ram's humanity and his struggles, then I felt a much stronger personal connection. And hmm. in terms of this, this episode, you know, this intense episode when Ram has rescued Sita and then she comes and you expect, you know, you expect this moment, the happy reunion that they run into each other's arms and they're united and finally they get to be together. And the entire text is kind of leading up to this union. But what then happens is he rejects her and says, you know, yeah. very brutally. And that's super painful for. Right. But in the story itself, in Valmiki Ramayan, there is a line that really soothes soothed me and Valmiki writes he said Ram turned away from Sita the way a man with an eye disease turns away from the light so that to me was like okay look Valmiki himself is saying that Ram is acting like a man with an eye disease Sita is the light yeah. Ram is turning away from that in that moment so what he did in that moment was not right it's not what every mm -hmm. man should then follow it it, it, it it that was a mistake to doubt sita in that moment and to treat her in that way was not right yeah you know, 
So the, the original text itself and also all the people there, Lakshman, Hanuman, everyone is like, Ram, no, no, no. Why are you doing this? Why is this happening? No one was comfortable with that. And I think that's really important to remember. It's not like at that moment, people were saying Ram is doing the right thing. And this is the way we should all be at that right. moment. Everyone in the story is, is, is battling, is feeling very troubled. Right. So seeing it in that way brings an entire different context to approach that moment and yeah. to see what was happening at that moment. And wow. me, that changes everything. Absolutely. And, you know, th this is the first time I've ever grasped that, that perspective and, you know, most likely a reality. And so thank you. And I think it's, it just adds to the beauty of, you know, how Krishna does incarnate and take on these, these avatar positions where he, you know, whether he's accepting to take his father's shoes on his head or, or, drive the chariot of his friend or in this case be so human that it seems like he's not being an example to me that just adds to the the beauty of this multi multifaceted diamond that is lord ramachandra so thank you so much for sharing that i want to take this uh moment to read some of the comments there's a few comments coming in here and i encourage anybody who's uh, on the live uh, broadcast here to Feel free to share some comments. And if you're on Zoom, just uh, let us know. And uh, you're welcome to ask a question to uh, Vrinda and Anapurna Live. Sundari says, uh, Mantara's position as a woman who had a disability was very well researched and presented very thoughtfully. When we were young, she was presented as this villainous voice in Kaike's ear. I really appreciated how this woman who have been shunned or who would have been shunned or killed back in that age was able to create a need of herself and thus a place for herself in society. We're all molded by experiences and many of us have pieces of ourselves warped. I was immediately more compassionate and understanding that she was not just an evil person, but one who loved the queen she served and who cared for her. Thank you, Brenda, she Thank says. That's, uh, yeah. It, you really did do some amazing research in the, these different characters. And, you know, like, I love this example of the disability, you know, you, you went and, you know, what does it mean to be a hunchback? What is it like to live in that condition? And you were able to give us so much insight. Thanks to that. Amrita Kelly says, Oh, Amrita Kelly, I guess she is here in the background. <laughs> Your technique of filling in the storyline has the fascinating ability to connect us much closer to these person personalities as deep feeling beings. It's such a spectacular divergence of art, study in humanity, and your personal devotion. Your example of Sita and Lakshman's relationship is profound. I suspect this trilogy will be very carefully studied and appreciated by religious scholars, among others, <laughs> as one of the most significant contributions to the Ramayan storytelling tradition. Wow, thank you both. Wow, thank you, Kelly. So, <laughs> so, you know, we are getting close to our time here. So perhaps I wanna bring the two of you back together, the, the mother-daughter duo, and uh, perhaps you could share, you know, now that you've finally completed this amazing work, what are what are some some feelings, thoughts, realizations that you have as a mother daughter couple, and uh, and just what this uh, what this work meant to you? You would like to share something about that, Mother Annapurna? Feelings, thoughts reflections about our mother and daughter relationship and this yeah project. after after having done this this work together what has that done for you too that's a good question i haven't reflected so much about it i'm more in the process of uh, looking forward to the other projects we are working on. Mm -hmm. Great. Great. <laughs> you want to share some, what do you call those, teasers on what's, what's, what's to come? 
Well, I I'm surprised to hear that because the last thing I heard, I have I have an idea and I asked, you know, my mom and she was like, I think you should find another illustrator because, you know, she found it a little stressful at times to produce art in a deadline. And especially, uh, I guess, with me, sometimes it takes unexpected turns. So she was really on her tiptoes at times. So she's like on vacation mode now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> vacation mode, I mean, she's continuing to produce like really awesome Ramayan themed. Now she's doing it just for fun. Cause I was like, wait, I thought you were on vacation. And she's like, well, now I'm doing it just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with the deadlines and also having to match it to, you know, what I'm writing, there was a certain pressure there that, you know, she is really happy to be rid of. So right. I, I didn't really know that you wanted to <laughs> go on to our next project just yet. <laughs> well, what are some of the, I mean, I'd like to know just a little bit more about your, your art, actually, Mother Annapurna. What are some of the other books that uh, you've illustrated and where can we find those? Other books I have illustrated? Hmm. I or just your art in general? Is there a website where we can see all of it? Yeah, uh, it's coming. It's coming out. I'm putting up a print, a website with a print shop where people can buy prints. Okay. I'm, I'm waiting for prints from my printer, so it's coming most likely next week. It will be up, and the address will be Anna's Art. 108 at hot no 108.com okay yeah other books yeah i mean i don't know my my mind has gone on vacation sorry uh, I did. <laughs> bring lennon you can answer the question len <laughs> yeah I, I i i did one book uh, with uh, my dear friend kosha the Peaceable Forest. Yes, The Peaceable Forest. That's a wonderful book. Yeah, and uh, I, I actually approached Namamrita for this because I wanted him to be, you know, I needed some shots from a model for some of the characters in The Peaceable Forest. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I got, I got to pose as Narada Muni thanks to you. That was, that was a very <laughs> special service. Yeah, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> and Vish, my husband, was the Mugari. Vish was Mugari the hunter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, please check out Annapurna's art on this website coming up. Peaceable Forest is one of the other books. Thank you for sharing that. And Brenda, tell us a little bit. You know, looking back, are are there any? Uh, what are your feelings now that you've completed this this project? I feel, I feel finally now that I'm complete, I feel like I understood what the project was and mm -hmm. what I was meant to do. You know, when I was in the process, I was, it was just a lot of digesting and following creativity is, is like, you know, a very intuitive process that I couldn't articulate. But now that I'm complete and, you know, it's out of my hands, it's, you know, it has a life of its own. Now yeah. I feel like I... I'm able to really look and see what I did and what, you know, speak about it in, in a confident way. And that feels, you know, I have a little bit of distance. And so I'm able to really stand behind it in a different way than I could with book one and two. So now I feel like a sense of completion that also feels celebratory, but also a lot of clarity. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, I really want to thank both of you, you know, my takeaways here and, and getting to uh, know you both a little more and hearing about this work is that uh, Mother Annapurna, you, you joined the movement and it was just like flipping a switch and you, you just, <laughs> you had it in you from uh, long ago. And that was really nice to, to hear how you came to the movement. Rinda, thank you for sharing some of your, uh, your upbringing in Krishna consciousness. You know, of course, there's so much to unpack there and we don't have so much time, but you know, you've, you've opened a window into that. And I really appreciate that. I love to hear 
how the two of you have gone through this journey together. And thank you for all the insights through through the work that you're you've both done and you keep keep doing. You know, to me it's really a, a beautiful example of how bhakti can be expressed and practiced and you know the, the journey goes on and we're we're all looking for that original love through it. So I really appreciate the time. Next episode, we are going to have Nanda Nandana from the Krishna House. That's going to be an exciting interview based on her service there and where she's coming from. So check us out. We're shooting for the first Wednesday of every month, but you can always find us on uh, Facebook. Uh, If you click on uh, Nectar Talks Live, you can get uh, reminders. And uh, thank you for those who are live with us on Zoom, Len, Amrita Kelly, Sundari, those who are Mother Vegavati. I see some comments there. Luz Maria. A lot of uh, nice comments there on Facebook for you guys to check out. So thank you again for your time. And we'll see everybody back for the next episode. Thank Hare you. Krishna. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Of course, Brenda's taking us out with a kirtan. Thanks for that, Brenda. Oh!